0: And this is the Love the Cove podcast, where we'll be diving into covenant history and exploring what makes the Evangelical Covenant Church covenant as we move toward our future together as mission
1: friends. Welcome to the Love the Cove podcast. I'm your co host, Kathy Norman Peterson. And I'm Jane Chow Pomeroy. Today, we're talking about being a missional church and how that defines the covenant. We are so excited to have Dr. Ephraim Smith join us. He is a beloved covenant pastor and leader. Currently, he's serving as co-pastor of Midtown Covenant Church, an intentionally diverse congregation in Sacramento. And he was the founding pastor of Sanctuary Covenant Church in Minneapolis. He served as superintendent of the Pacific Southwest Conference until he became president and CEO of World Impact, which is an urban mission, church planting and leadership development organization. In this episode, we wanted to talk to Ephraim about the covenant as a missional movement. He talks about that in depth in his book, The Post-Black and Post-White Church, Becoming the Beloved Community in a Multi-Ethnic World.
0: But before we get to our interview, we'll be hearing from Marv and Linda Norlene and what their journey has looked like coming into the covenant.
2: Well, we are Marv and Linda Norleen. And uh, part of the joy of this is that we're co-pastors and we enjoy serving the Lord together as co-interim pastors, uh, currently at Prairie View Covenant Church uh, near New Richmond, Wisconsin. And um, we have recently completed, finalized the transfer of our ordination into the Covenant Church. And we just couldn't say uh, how delighted we are to be a part of the covenant. It It has been a home and a family for us. And uh, we love the Cove. And so um, that that's uh, where we'd want to begin. Um,
3: As a couple. And yeah. then let me just kind of introduce Marv, because um, uh, Marv has been an intentional interim pastor for a whole bunch of different evangelical churches. And so just the last couple have been covenant. And so, and, you know, we transferred, like Marv said, we transferred our ordinations to the covenant. So we were very intentional about becoming covenanters and kind of realizing that we were covenanters even before we were ordained covenant. And so, um, but why don't you tell them about me? So that-
2: sure, I will. And part of the big part is that Linda's a retired uh, Army chaplain, served um, 20 years, uh, over 20 years, um, and the, the last 20 years were, were active duty. And uh, she was uh, ordained, endorsed by, a, again, a like-minded evangelical denomination. And we were very excited. And so it was during that time that I sought God's call for my life, which led me into being intentional interim ministry, again, with a very like-minded evangelical group, and um, served a number of churches, um, really in various places of the country, uh, including the wonderful island of Hawaii, <laughs> uh, actually Oahu, and mm-hmm. we had just a great time while we were toured out there. Sidebar story. But anyway, after she retired from the Army, Um, she came along uh, as I was immediately called to another interim ministry, uh, again with the denomination that I had primarily served in, and uh, she came as you know, your supportive pastor's wife, so to speak.
3: Let me jump in and say that when I was finishing my years in the army, and I loved being an army chaplain, but um, I was saying to Marv, like I I don't want to be on anybody's payroll. I'm I'm done working. I'm retired, so now I'm going to be retired. So I'll be I'll be a pastor's wife again, like I was years ago. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be employed anywhere. So off we went. Marv is serving this church, and I'm having a great time as a pastor's wife. But in my devotions one morning, the Lord just made it crystal clear. I mean, I just heard him say to me, Linda, I did not retire your call to ministry when the army retired you from service. And so that was just so clear that I came to Marv and I said, you know what? I've been skating. I need to quit this. I need to to jump in and do ministry with you.
2: And what's exciting about that is that she, of course, uh, in that call that we served right after she retired from the army, um, she was there. She was leading Bible studies. She did a lot of things ministry-wise, but we just really sensed God was calling us to serve as co-pastors the next time we would serve. And um, so we began thinking about that. And um, and the denomination that I was that that church was a part of, and I had served quite a bit with, though they did have an active role for women, they did not ordain women to be uh, the lead pastor in churches and that sort of thing. And uh, if I say much more, people may figure out the denomination. But anyway, yeah, well, and we don't want to say yeah, anything we don't bad. Want to say I anything, mean, I love because they're like minded yeah, and uh, oh, have. Yeah. And so we said, you know, let's think about where we could. Could find a home to do that. And now my my background, I, I grew up in um, again, a like-minded evangelical denomination, similar roots of the covenant, but was not a covenant church that I grew up in, though as a high school student, was active with um parachurch youth ministry in the in the community and was very involved with with covenant friends. And uh actually I I played guitar in a in a student ministry ministry band out of the covenant church in my hometown. And it was just a lot of fun that goes back into the early seventies, you know, but anyway, but my dad had grown up in the covenant and my, on my dad's side of the family had come from the covenant. So I was very familiar with the covenant church. Um, and, and so, meanwhile,
3: while well, yeah. I had been endorsed, and of course, in order to be endorsed as an active duty or even reserve army chaplain, you have to be ordained. And so I was ordained um, by, a, again, a lovely denomination. But um, when it came time to serve together and be able to serve smoothly and easily, we thought that it would be better to be involved in, in with a denomination that uh, had deeper roots with women in ministry. And so that... That was not the only reason, and we are looking forward to sharing the reasons why we love the Cove, but, but it was kind of an open door. If the door had not been open to women, then we would have looked somewhere else. And so I knew that half of Marv's family was Covenant. And, so, and I had met some awesome Covenant Army chaplains along the way, and I took note of how supportive they were. You know, you can imagine that you bump into chaplains of every stripe in the Army, and some were not as enthusiastic as others to work with uh, females that were ordained. And But every time I bumped into a Covenant chaplain, they were like, oh, yeah, you're on the team.
2: Yeah, and I think you'd even say that one time they said, well, you know, if, if you need a place where you can really be Welcome. Join the club. You yes. can come in. You know, so anyway, um, we, we had that behind us all the way. But I, I think there was kind of a convergence of in, of things that happened uh toward the end of that time, uh, that interim time that I was at that church. And uh it had to do with um Linda starting to lurk around um on the covenant website as we're thinking about this whole mm-hmm. issue of um, where we might find a home, and maybe you want to share a bit more well, about that.
3: Well, as soon as that was so clearly conveyed to me in my devotions that morning, we began to really earnestly seek out what would be a, a really welcoming denomination for us, and so if, you want to jump in and add something?
2: But yeah, there's one other little key piece in that we had attended, uh, and we have been an active background with the ministry called Renovare, and... Um, we attended a um, conference kind of connected to Renovari that was out at um,
3: Santa Barbara
2: and Santa Barbara and um, at Westmont um, college. And it was kind of celebration of the ministry of Dallas Willard largely. And, uh, but the the Montecito covenant church was right near there. And we visited there on a a couple of things and they used it for one of the uh, places to gather for the conference but we were there on a Sunday when they had a baptism that just really it impressed us. It was an amazing spiritual
3: experience, and yes.
2: so we loved it. And um, that was a part of it. Um, so anyway. well, and
3: then and so then I just began to kind of lurk on the different. Um, Covenant resources and just began to read and just uh, watched, uh, listened to podcasts, (laughs) watched uh, different video clips and read all kinds of material. And then I was, I think I was looking maybe at the Cub Companion when I bumped into this short article about this pastor who was serving as an interim pastor for the covenant in Rochester, Minnesota. He'd been the former uh, lead pastor of the Montecito Covenant Church, and they had, this was a few years back, and they'd had these mudslides that had, and so this article was about this wonderful covenant pastor whose name was Pastor Don Johnson, and he was inquiring about uh, a, a certain homeless man that had lived right in the vicinity of that church, and he'd had a wonderful ministry to him. So when he had heard, after leaving there, that these mudslides had occurred, there was a brief article about him checking on this man and learning good things. Well, I'm I'm just kind of connecting the dots, thinking, okay, wait a minute. There's a covenant interim pastor an hour away from our home. Who's a retired, kind of semi-retired at that point, covenant pastor? So we connected with Don Johnson.
2: I gave him a call and scoped out, and said, "You're an interim pastor. Would you, you know? I first emailed. Would you be willing to call, talk? Sure. Yeah. We made a phone conversation, and, you know. And so then connecting with Pastor Johnson and the interim, and learning about that. And, and he he connected us into the uh, conference office sure. with staff and we and, and see we, we were serving away from our, our home is in southeastern Minnesota. But every couple of weeks we drove through Rochester, Minnesota mm-hmm. on our way home, which is an hour from our our home. And so we said, man, let's link up with Pastor Johnson and have lunch someday on the way home. And so we did that a few times. We did,
3: and, and we didn't know for sure if if we would be welcomed. I mean, we were semi-retired, and, and we just wanted to run the idea past him before we really pursued transferring because I thought – maybe somebody will be like well you're a little old you know i'm not sure we can use you and and i and i wouldn't have blamed them and so i thought we got to we got to get some you know common sense somebody else's opinion on this and so we sat with him and had coffee had lunch and he was like oh yeah you guys totally fit you should definitely pursue this and he was so welcoming he was like um, just like swung the door wide open and said, and so that was great. Then we really built a relationship with him and periodically stopped and had coffee and asked him some more questions. And like he, yeah, like Marv said, he hooked us and, up with yeah. the Northwest Conference office. So that was helpful too.
2: Well, and that's another piece of it is that we, as we met with the Northwest Conference office, uh, they were so welcoming too, yes. engaging in the dialogue with us. And then the more and more we studied about the covenant and who we are, and this is a part of um, why we love the covenant Mm -hmm. so much, is we came to see, you know, the six affirmations is really where our heart is at. We love that as our way of, uh, we're not creedal, but we have these affirmations. And these are the very affirmations that we embrace with our whole heart. And uh, obviously, the centrality of scripture mm. has been so dear. And we both love to preach and teach the scriptures and, mm. and, and make them relevant to the world today. We, we just, that, that's a part of what drives us. Mm-hmm. But the necessity of the new birth and uh, living in, in constant dependence on the Holy Spirit, yeah, you know, and embracing the whole mission of the church. In the church as a fellowship of believers, you know, and we could each go on. one
3: was like like there were only the six, but they were the like like the right six. Well, and for
2: me, <laughs> the, the last one, freedom, was, yes. was so critical because yes. yeah, I have a few convictions about things, but I embrace brothers and sisters that don't share every jot and tittle that I do, mm-hmm. and that's okay, you know, and um we just um but believe so yes. much in connecting with anyone who's a friend of God is a friend of, for me, you know, and so we just, um, just really embrace the affirmations
3: mm-hmm. and the mission priorities. we we tapped in right away and started listening to the embrace website uh, webinars. And that was just so helpful. Oh, wonderful. And the, and the six fold, now the six fold test at that point, it was the five fold test, but, but multi-ethnic ministry, you know, here we are Euro Americans and, and we want, we want to um, live in that rich mosaic Uh, multi-ethnic mosaic that we talk about all the time. And yet, you know, kind of uh, needing to be led, guided, taught how to, and actually the ministry that I did in the army was very multi-ethnic, but you come back to small town Minnesota and it, and it gets kind of monochrome again, you know? And so, um, so, we just wanted to. We wanted to learn. We wanted to succeed along with our brothers and sisters of color at just a new kind of way of living um, that was rich and and kingdom like. And it's we see the covenant as the pace setter on that. I mean, we really do. And we've been like we've mentioned trying to be careful not to say anything negative about anybody else but we have a few denominations that mean so well but we just see the covenant leading the way Uh,
2: well one of the things too that blesses me um in the covenant you know i mentioned our our past connection with the renovare and um and and we've been we were very active and continue to take in a number of things with renovare and um What has blessed me is to see the emphasis on spiritual formation within covenant churches and the the covenant as a whole. And uh, really, you know, every pastor is encouraged to have a spiritual director. Mm -hmm. And so it's all of that that uh, has just really been heartwarming to me to find kindred spirit that say we want to help people learn how to truly be. Disciples of Jesus, or as I like that term, apprentices or mm-hmm. students of Jesus, mm-hmm. learning how to become like Jesus. And here again, that's our pietistic tradition, our heritage. Authentic, uh, authenticity. Uh, yes, yeah. let's just Authentic be who we are. and disciples of Jesus. You know, And that's a, a heartbeat for us in, in churches that we serve, inviting people into the kingdom of God and to understand um, you know, what that means to be totally authentic followers and um sometimes i like to use the expression to be the real deal
3: genuinely on the uh, journey yeah and um i mean you know good in good intentions and and uh uh, no you know like dallas willard the author said uh you don't have to worry about perfection for quite a while
2: (laughs) so we love the color it's great to be a part of the family
1: this episode we're focusing on covenant mission and we're coming to you to hear your perspective um so part of how we identify ourselves has always been to talk about ourselves as a missional movement right we're mission friends we've that's part of our dna but can you unpack for us from your perspective like what does that mean what are what are we talking about when we say that
4: well i think that You know, when we're talking about mission in the covenant, we have to start with the fact that we're we're an immigrant denomination. So started by Swedish immigrants and through that perspective, uh, also knowing that these immigrants were blue collar people. Some of them ended up being farmers. Some of them ended up being blue collar workers, finding themselves in states like Illinois and uh, Iowa and Minnesota. Uh, my, my hometown, Minneapolis. Uh, and so when you think about that there there's a focus on on uh, discipleship of growing together as an immigrant people in the faith but also a missional focus on on evangelism. Uh, what does it mean as others make their way uh, to the United States and find themselves amongst Swedish friends? what what does that mean? for them to come to know Christ and to be welcomed into friendship, into fellowship. But then there was also the actual meeting of needs. Uh, When when you think about uh, those uh, in the beginnings of this movement who were Swedish- and blue collar and farmers, I think of Acts chapter two, of of people selling their possessions to make sure that needs were met amongst the community. And so that that evangelism, that discipleship, that meeting the needs of others in community as they make their way into community is is mission. Uh, But then I think about as the, the covenant became more diverse as the covenant became multi-ethnic, mission is, is even giving us a more robust understanding of the Great Commission, of making disciples of all nations as all nations are among us, as all nations become a part of our family. And so when I think of mission in the covenant, I think of evangelism and discipleship. I think of meeting needs. I think of that immigrant past uh, that past of, of being mindful of the most vulnerable among us, living itself out in an ever-increasing multicultural, multi-ethnic covenant church.
1: So you started to touch on this, but can you expand a little more on like how did that original understanding of mission grow to include this focus on justice? Because we don't separate those two, right? We incorporate them both into this story.
4: Yes, well... I think our, our, um, our understanding ourselves as missional pietists is where we begin uh, our understanding of justice. Uh, you know, in, in, in the Bible, uh, justice and righteousness have the same root word. So our pietistic uh, history, heritage, uh, if we're truly going to be a righteous people, which is only possible in Christ Jesus... Through, through the grace and love of God shown, not because of God's wrath that leads to the cross, because of God's love that leads to the cross and resurrection. So that pietism, that, that focus on an intimate relationship with God, out of the overflow of intimacy with God, a life of holiness and righteousness that comes out of the overflow of that grace and love, well, you, you can't live into that righteousness and avoid justice because righteousness and justice have the same root word. And so I think out of our, our pietism, that connection to mission is what helps us understand biblical justice, uh, that that the covenant has a history through its local churches, through its hospitals, mm-hmm. through its uh through it's its global missions, its domestic mission, uh, there is a focus on, on justice, of caring for the least of these. Uh that we we are uh an Acts chapter two people as covenanters, but we are also a Micah six people. Mm-hmm. We are a Matthew 25 people. And so uh we find ourselves at the intimate intersection of of justice and righteousness. And that's what leads to, uh, well, let me even say it this way. I mean, if you go back in, in our pietistic history, all the way back to uh, Franque, uh you know, so that, that's just showing you, you know, I got some, you know, pietism knowledge. <laughs> I can, I, I mean, I can, I can say, you know, spainer and falter, <laughs> neither, Franke. I do those name drops. Yeah, pietism, name drop it. <laughs> so uh, I think about Franke, and, and Franke, you know, launched a Bible study because he wanted people to know the word of God. He wanted people to come to Christ. But then he realized that there were some issues in the public school system of his day that how could people really study the Bible, understand God's word? And there were disparities uh, in the education system where people in his proximity, Uh, Couldn't read. Uh, They they were they were coming from poor educational circumstances. So he combined education reform with Bible study, Mm -hmm. mission and justice, Mm -hmm. Pietism, righteousness and justice combined. That that as as we uh, are committed to evangelism and discipleship wherever God leads us, Mm -hmm. if that leads us to places of the vulnerable the marginalized, the outcast, then our pietism becomes a missional pietism at the intersection of righteousness and justice.
0: So one thing that I've really appreciated about pietism as I'm learning more about it is, right, like it, it is just about what's happening within me, but then to like, to act out in love. Um, but, and I remember from your book, you know, you do talk about individualism um, and, and just... I think part of the struggle that I've been experiencing is how to really live into community, into mission, like authentically and not in a performative way with like short-term actions. Like, does that make sense?
4: Yes. Yes. That ultimately mission has to be who we are, not simply what we do. It has to be our ethos, not just our our strategies or our initiatives. What what does it mean uh, for us to embody the good news of Jesus Christ by being missional and not simply doing missions? Because if you just think of doing missions, that could just mean, uh, you know, taking your youth group on a weekend to an impoverished community. Nothing wrong with that. Or it could mean seven days in a in a quote unquote third world country. Nothing wrong with that. But um, mission for us, I think, it, again going back to the roots of the covenant, being an immigrant denomination, uh, being a people that were growing in God's word together, but they were also finding their way. They they were uh, finding their footing. They they were finding uh, their way from an immigrant identity to uh, identity in the United States of America. Right. Um, So what we can't do is lose the spirit of that, because over time, some of these Swedish immigrants became wealthy people. They did find wow. them. They became business owners. They became yeah. doctors. They became dentists. They became school principals. They became home owners. They developed net worth, and and so they went from an uh, an immigrant Swedish people, uh, not not even seen uh, in the in the major categories of because when we think of like you know immigrants i mean we think about those from from england we think about uh, mm-hmm. you know you know italians we we think about uh polish people we think about expressions of jewish people finding their way but i mean who thinks about the swedish people making their right. way right. states right? right so almost the invisible immigrants and so if if we in the blessing Of the privilege that those original covenanters received, if we lose a sense of heritage, we won't know how to live in community with other people with a marginalized heritage or those that are still the the objects of marginalization today. Mm. We're we're able to walk alongside uh, those that have a past, a heritage of enslavement those that have a heritage of, of, of borderline genocide of their entire people. Uh, we, we can better walk alongside one another as brothers and sisters, as a multi-ethnic Christ-centered covenant movement today, if we don't lose our sense of the heritage of the invisible immigrants.
1: So in your book, The Post-Black and Post-White Church, Can you define the covenant as post-white? And I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit, unpack those terms and how how you meant them and how you're thinking about them. And then why do you define the covenant that way? I I think that's kind of where we're going in this conversation, right?
4: So one, that definition is based on the book United by Faith, where a group of Christian sociologists um, basically defined the multicultural church the multiracial church as one where the dominant group is 80% or less. Now that's a generous, you know, measurement because, you know, if I walked into a church and it was 80% black, I'd probably say that's a black church. I walked into a church and it was 80% Taiwanese. I would say that's a Taiwanese church. (laughs) Uh, But what Christian sociologists have found is that there's a tipping point where when, um, the groups, uh, the people that aren't the dominant group, if there's 20% or more uh, other besides the dominant group, they feel like they can find a place in that church, in that faith community. They can find voice. They can find their way. So by using uh, that measurement from that book, when when you look at the landscape of local churches in the covenant, the covenant has, has gone beyond the 30 uh, has it has over 30% of our churches are non-Anglo, uh, multi-ethnic or ethnic specific. So using that measurement, you, you could say, we are a multi-ethnic uh, denomination. We also have a measurement tool that we could probably strengthen in terms of, well, how do you actually develop data out of this but, you know, we have what, what we've come to know is the six-fold test for multi-ethnic, uh, you know, ministry. And so that that test has been very helpful in the diversity we have on the Council of Superintendents or the diversity we have at, in executive leadership or on the executive board of the denomination. It, can we still get better? Sure, we can. Um, but we we are a post Uh, white denomination to that degree. When you think about the percentage of non-Anglo ethnic specific and multi-ethnic churches, when you think about the diversity, I mean, just since I've been in the covenant, I came in in 2002. And I think about uh, what the, the, the council of, you know, the president and executive ministers, what that looked like then, what the council of superintendents looked like then uh, there were no women superintendents when I came in in 2002. Uh, uh, the, I don't. I'm trying. To, I think we had two African American, but we we had yet to have an Asian American or a Hispanic or uh, an indigenous person from uh, uh, Alaska uh, to serve uh, on the council of superintendents. And you look at the council now, uh, and again, uh, we we can continue. To look more and more like heaven in this denomination, but we're post-white. What I, what I want to say, though, is because I think when we talk about being post-white, when we talk about being multi-ethnic, there's this assumption from some of our white brothers and sisters that this means that the covenant has been taken from them, that this is no longer their church. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, it, it hurts my heart when I hear that sentiment. In, in any way, verbally or non-verbally, mm. but but I know that there's there's this this sentiment now that oh um, I guess if you're a white male there's no place for you anymore. Well, first of all, I could say there are many white males in positions of, of tremendous <laughs> influence still in the covenant, and 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 so I don't think we should rush to that judgment. But I do believe that there is a way for our church to be post-white, to be multi-ethnic, and it be a blessing to our white brothers and sisters. That, that I would hope that uh, those Swedish immigrants that formed this movement, as part of the cloud of witnesses looking at us today, would be proud that what they started looks more and more like they where they live right now. <laughs> They're like, oh my goodness. We thought we, there was a day in the Covenant where you couldn't experience this kind of diversity till you got to heaven and look at it. They're, they're a sneak preview of it now. So so that that's kind of my thoughts on the Covenant as a post-white denomination or movement.
0: I do confess that I find myself hesitant to call the ECC a post-white denomination um, based on my experiences, but at the same time, I'm really, I really appreciate what you're bringing up today and how you're framing this. What What do you feel like that is the that God is inviting us into as a pietistic missional movement today?
4: Yes. Well, I think the covenant is better positioned than many evangelical denominations to be a missional transformative movement in a mission field domestically that is ever increasingly diverse, yet deeply divided. Um, 2020 showed us that though we've made progress, we are not as far along as we thought. I mean, when when Barack Obama became president, there was all this talk about being a post-racial nation now. And a, wow. a post racial reality like, as if uh, every racial disparity, racial dilemma, racial problem was was suddenly magically erased by the election of Barack Obama. And then we found out uh, in 2020, if not before that, that that was not the case that there was deep racial division, there was racial angst, racial anger, uh, racial unrest. And, and, and so what, what we found was uh, elections in our, in our government alone won't solve these issues. Uh, but what a pandemic did was expose uh, these issues where, where we really are. And so, in some ways, evangelicalism, you could argue broadly, was not prepared to missionally engage for life transformation, for uh, spiritual maturity, greater disciple-making, and a greater understanding of biblical justice. Evangelicalism wasn't as prepared as maybe we thought it was. Now, some of us knew it wasn't prepared okay we we knew that was the case, but there were others that that thought man we've we've had we've read and listened to John Perkins and brenda Salton McNeil and Sun Chung Ra and William Pennell and i mean we could go on and, i mean we' look at all the great multi ethnic Diversity reconciliation leaders that have come out of the covenant. Oh my gosh, Cecilia Williams and Debbie <laughs> Blue and I mean Gary Walter and Harold Spooner wrote the sixfold test. My goodness, uh, uh, I mean Eugene Cho came out of the covenant. Is now leading Bread for the World. Oh my goodness, look at us, uh, and and yet uh, we realized that that we weren't as prepared. To rise to the occasion and bring the kingdom of God to bear on George Floyd, Mm. to bring the kingdom of God to bear uh, on an attempted insurrection, Mm. to to bring the kingdom of God to bear on violent protests, to bring the kingdom of God to bear on... um, horrific images at the borders uh, to bring the kingdom of God to bear. Now, there are ways in which there's no question the evangelical covenant church is bringing the kingdom of God to bear on some tremendous issues. But I'm saying this to say evangelicalism as a whole, there were far too many evangelical churches that had no idea what to say after the George Floyd video came out. No idea what to say. Stumbled their way through or made a two paragraph statement and then they were done or they made no statement at all. Um, Now there are segments of evangelicalism where you can't say justice anymore. Like justice is no longer a biblical word. It's I guess it's a word now that some say originated in the um, critical theory ideology of Germany. And so and 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 critical race theory. And and and, and so now you can't even say justice because justice, even though it's mentioned thousands and thousands and thousands of times in scripture, I mean it's right there. Thousands and the justice, justice, justice. I mean, it's like, I don't know what's said more in the Bible, justice or Jesus? I don't know. But but justice is mentioned a lot. And, and so I believe the evangelical covenant church is the best positioned denomination. I know I'm biased. The best position, if there's any expression of evangelicalism that is going to have a priestly and prophetic word that is going to bring the love, the grace, the peace, the justice, the truth, the empowerment of Christ into the social dilemmas that we see, not solve them all. But bring a preview of what does it look like when the blessedness of God invades the brokenness of our nation? Mm. I mean, I'm going. Shouldn't mm. it be the covenant? Mm. Shouldn't it be a denomination that already made its decision about the empowerment of women? Mm. Yeah. Shouldn't it be a, a denomination that that in the in the in the late 60s to the mid 80s already made a decision about being a diverse denomination. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't it be a place that created a department called Love, Mercy, Do Justice? Mm-hmm. Get on I, I, get on the websites of the top seven evangelical denominations in the United States of America and see if they have a department called Love, Mercy, Do Justice. Mm-hmm. Evangelical, I'm talking about.
0: Yeah,
4: yeah. <laughs> now, do, it, but my sister, Jane, I, I resonate with you. Uh, you know, Kathy, talking to two sisters right now, I, I would deeply resonate with you if you would say, yeah, that sounds great, Ephraim, but I still at times sit in rooms and I feel like the invisible immigrant. Yep. Yes. <laughs> you, know, you know, I, I, I I feel like I'm all the way back in the 1800s, in the beginning of this denomination, trying to find my footing in my way. I would go, that is true, too. That That is that is the, the tension. That is the rub right now in the covenant. The tension between who we are and who we can be. Mm. And we can't just rest in, well, we're more diverse than most. We ordain mean, women in most evangelical denominations. I mean, we we can yeah. um, We we have to keep pressing towards the mark, pressing towards the goal, and if we do that, man, there are great days uh, ahead for the covenant. Amen.
1: That's
0: so good. Thank you, Ephraim. You were talking about justice earlier. And what I've been hearing, um, not just only within the ECC, but also amongst other pu- evangelical churches, why are we allowing secularism to define our conversation when we should be leading with biblical conversations?
4: Sure, sure. What, what I say to people when they say that, I go, don't blame that on this generation. We made that mistake a long time ago. Uh, let's go back to the fourth century in Constantine. You want to talk about worldly ideology, worldly philosophy seeping its way into Christianity? Well, you got to go back to Rome on that one. You, you got to go back to Constantine leading the way for Christianity to go uh, from being a movement of the suffering, the marginalized, and the persecuted. I mean, in the first century, the Christian movement was an ever-increasing multi-ethnic, multicultural, Christ-centered movement of persecuted, suffering people. That was what it meant to be Christian, to be in a very diverse movement. But on any given day, you could be arrested, flogged, beheaded, crucified, crucified upside down, stoned to death. That was to be a Christian. Fourth century makes way for it to change. All of a sudden, Christianity goes from uh, being mostly expressed from the bottom up, like it was through Jesus. Rode, rode a donkey, not a chariot. Carpenter's son came from came from the hood. They're like, what good comes out of that neighborhood? No kings coming from there. So like, you know, so it's an upside down kingdom. But then through Constantine, all of a sudden, the kingdom the, and the empire become intermixed. So all of a sudden, Jesus and angels and biblical characters start looking more like the Roman empire than they do the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, it surprises me a little bit that there are people that think, oh, it was like after Trayvon Martin. All of a sudden, Black and Brown people started bringing secularism into Christianity. No, you can't blame that on us. That, that, that innovation happened a long, long time ago. Or if you're gonna say that, so like if you're gonna say, which is a great argument, you, if you wanna argue, you know what, Black Lives Matter, the organization to bring that into the body of Christ, is to bring a form of secularism into the body of Christ. Well, then we also got to say that to bring the Republican Party into Christianity is to bring secularism, to to bring patriotism, and to bring an American flag into your sanctuary. Mm-hmm. To, to, to bring the Democratic Party into your church would be mm-hmm. that. To, to call Resurrection Sunday Easter is to bring a form of... And I hope I'm in trouble for saying this, but like Easter's not in the Bible. (laughs) Resurrection is in the Bible. Jesus rose from the grave early Sunday morning is in the Bible. You you could argue that. But like Easter, like that was like a pagan goddess last time I checked. (laughs) And this is why we're talking
1: about history on this podcast.
4: So so (laughs) I do that very well. I'm just saying we we all have to wrestle with how we have not done as well of a job as we thought being in the world and not of it. Hmm. That, that, that The failure of the body of Christ to be both in the world and of the world, that should call us all to repentance. Good word. You know, good word. And, and definitely we should revisit what does it mean for socially transforming movements to come out of the church again? Mm. That'd be a great conversation. Where will the next Mother Teresa come from? Where will the next Dr. Martin Luther King come from? Where will the next uh, Dolores Huerta come from? Where will the next Cesar Chavez come from? Where Where will the next? Wouldn't it be better if they came out of the church? yes, it would be better. (laughs) Yes. So, so we shouldn't be beating up Black Lives Matter. We should be asking ourselves what happened that those in Black Lives Matter didn't grow up in the church like I did. What happened? That's the question we should be wrestling with. If we're concerned about secularism seeping into the church, we should be asking ourselves, do we need a more robust evangelistic effort so that we're invading the world, uh, more powerfully than the world is invading us. I know this is not the subject we were supposed to be talking about. No, this is so good, though. I just want to say my hope would be that the reality of us growing as a multi-ethnic movement would not lead us to believe that we've abandoned our true heritage. Our, our diversity should not separate us from our belief in the necessity of new birth our belief in the centrality and authority of scripture our belief in the power of dependency on the holy spirit our belief in freedom in christ uh, our, our belief uh, in the you know the fellowship of believers our belief in uh mission domestically and globally that um, we can still live out the affirmations of this movement uh, and our diversity will only strengthen our ability to embody those affirmations, uh, not compromise them if we truly understand the blessing of this movement looking like heaven.
0: Thank you, friends, for joining us for the Love the Cove podcast. We'll be posting new episodes every other week. If you're interested in sharing your story on when you felt like you were covenant, send us an email at lovethecov at covchurch.org. Bye.